0: Do you want your middle school girl to grow into a strong, confident, and resilient young adult? So do I. The only thing is, middle school's hard for both kids and parents. Welcome to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. I'm Janice Scholl, and I'm just a regular parent on a mission to uncover the best tips and advice for raising middle school girls. Hey there, parents. You know, when it comes to friendships, I don't think any girl makes it through middle school unaffected. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Kim Palmiato, mom of four girls, educational psychologist, and clinical counselor, about our middle school girls' friendships. Friendships can change in middle school, and we're gonna discuss what parents should expect with our girls during this time, as well as when and how parents should get involved in their daughter's friendships. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Kim. Yes, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So I want to start off and like kind of set the stage because I think a lot of us moms especially have this, is this normal question when it comes to friendships? What do we want our girls to learn about friendship in middle school?
1: Oh, that's a big question and an important one, I think. Um, I think that really the biggest thing I, I want middle school girls to understand and we as moms can teach them is that there are going to be conflicts. <laughs> it's going to happen. Middle school is kind of known for that because girls are moving from developmentally with you know the brain changes as well as physical development changes into a completely different phase in their life. And during this phase, they have to kind of figure out where their friendships lie in their own circles. So, I really strongly encourage uh, moms to help girls understand this concept of circles of friendship because I think it, many times girls get into this thought pattern of thinking, well, I have to have this many, you know, kind of best friends or good friends or fit into these particular clicks or circles, when in reality, we have different circles that can kind of overlap. So, you know, we have the acquaintances, which basically everyone fits into when we first meet them. And then a large percentage of people that we meet are going to stay in that circle because we, we just don't move them into a more intimate place. But then it can kind of move into more intimate, friendships and relationships as we move along. So as girls get to know other people, they get to be part of clubs, uh, maybe they are doing things outside of school with other girls. Some of these girls will kind of pull out of the acquaintance circle and move into either close friends or even really intimate best friends. And I think one of the important things to understand is that this is fluid. I think sometimes we get stuck, uh, especially in middle school, thinking like, this is my best friend and this will always be my best friend. And so then when something happens and that breaks apart, it's devastating. But if, if girls can understand that there's fluidity within the friendships, um, sometimes that helps to help them frame it in a different way in, in their mind to understand that, okay, well, this may not be where this person fits in
0: right now, but it could change as you know life goes on. We all kind of laugh that in sixth grade, they stick to who they know for a while, maybe even the whole year. And then in seventh grade, that seems to be the year where there's a whole lot of friendship shake up. Oh, yeah. And like, how do we encourage our girls that it is healthy and normal for them to start to develop those acquaintance friendships and that doesn't take away from their besties that they still know from elementary school?
1: Yeah, that's a really tough one because first of all, seventh grade, you're right. Seventh grade is always kind of this year that catches everyone off guard. They don't like what is happening because all the conflicts and the girl drama and everything starts getting stirred up because of exactly what you described. Girls are starting to branch out from their comfortable relationships that they were in to kind of dip their toes in the waters of, you know, quote unquote, popularity. And then the hierarchy that kind of starts to begin and we start to see that that becomes an issue. So I think in, in order to help girls understand how to manage that, it really boils down to number one, helping them understand themselves and be confident in themselves. Because I think when the, the girls that I see uh, be the most successful with this transition are the ones that kind of know what they are and, or who they are and what they expect in a friendship. So um, really helping girls understand what are your friendship values, like what do you value in a person to to put them into those more intimate circles that you have within you, within your friendship groups. Uh, once girls are able to identify that, it really kind of helps them navigate a little bit more and feel a little bit less, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, betrayed, I guess, right? When another girlfriend might move into another circle. Because I think that's really what it boils down to is if I have a friend, <clears throat> I've been friends with this person all through elementary school, we get into middle school, we're still hanging out in sixth grade, and then seventh grade, all of a sudden, this person wants to go with this other group, more than likely because she's testing out that popularity type of um, thing. And I'm not feeling it, or maybe I don't want to be a part of that, then when that separation happens, it does feel like a betrayal, like you're, lo- you're leaving me behind. But the reality is, if we can reframe that for our girls and understanding like, well, m- maybe that group that she's moving into doesn't fit your values, that's okay. For her at this moment, it might, that doesn't mean she might not circle back, Right. So let's look around you and figure out what other people in your life or at school or in these other groups do fit those values. And let's nurture those relationships for a little while and see where that goes.
0: I want to talk more about this betrayal piece, but before we do, there's something else that you said that I wanna I wanna focus in on for a second. And that's the like having confidence in in who they are. This is a really hard age to do that, right? Like most of our girls, well, we know that self-confidence plummets in middle school for girls specifically. And in addition, you know, it is a season of change, of transition and volatility. So how do you suggest girls kind of establish what their friendship values are in a season where they're still kind of figuring out who they are themselves?
1: That's a really that's a really good question. I think that understanding values really comes down to what does this person make you feel good about yourself? That's really the first question that I always ask girls is like, how does this other friend make you feel when you're around them? Because most of the time if someone says, well, you know, sometimes I I feel a little bit like I have to kind of do what she wants me to do and I don't really want to. That's your first clue that maybe that's not meeting your value, <laughs> right? We want to know, are these the girls that I'm around, um, how, how much or, or my own friendship values, how do we value, for example, honesty, trustworthiness? Um, the ability to be um, compassionate with you as well as with herself, right? What, what do you see with these in your other friends? So kind of going down the list of what makes a good friend and then aligning yourself with which of those are most important helps to really define those values for yourself. So then, then that way you can kind of move to uh, the next step of choosing who's going to be in that more intimate circle.
0: Yeah. I think that's really helpful. And so with both of our kids, we've just found that it's good to have like a baseline friend that it doesn't even have to be a friend that they're friends with today, but like they had a friend that they just seemed to really mesh with. They had a good connection. It was both ways. They could work out differences And so sometimes with both of our kids at different ages, we've compared like, well, how does this person make you feel compared to when you hang out with this person? And and I like that about what you're explaining, because even if our kid isn't sure about themselves, they can still say, do I trust that I can be open and honest with this person that I'm hanging out with? That's not really a... I'm in flux. I don't know who I am. That's a, what are my expectations of this interaction? And am I confident in them? So I think that is really a great way for for kids and for parents to look at that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In order to have a really solid, intimate friendship, you have to have some level of vulnerability and trust. You can't have that vulnerability if you don't trust the person, yeah. <laughs> right? So I love the idea of having the baseline friend. I think that's a really great kind of um, tool to teach the, the, our girls as well. Is like, who is that baseline for you? And I and I love the idea that you just said it doesn't have to be somebody that's currently in your life. Like it could be anybody that you can reflect on. That's perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just a like check in. How do I feel with this person? And what does a good friendship interaction feel like and are they different Exactly Now I want to talk about the betrayal piece and I want to talk about it from the mom's perspective because I think that a lot of moms get very involved whether emotionally and they keep it to themselves or literally with their girls in the friendship drama and kind of betrayal piece of friendships in middle school. The first question I want to ask, what is our role as moms to help our daughters through friendships in middle school? So the number
1: one role is not to fix it, but to help guide her through it. (laughs) Because I think... And I'm guilty of this too, right? Because your your mama bear gets involved and really just wants her to be okay and happy. And so we get emotionally involved in the whole process. But the reality is there are going to be these moments in time, especially during this developmental time, that she has these conflicts and she has these betrayals. And that's the whole purpose of adolescence is to figure out how to work through that so that she's developing skills along the way. So if we interject and we get involved and we try to solve it for her or even just kind of like offer advice without it being requested or whatever it is to try to solve the problem, we're we're kind of stealing that opportunity away from her. Um, and so I would, I always encourage moms to ask more questions than give advice. So every time that you're, that you, something like this happens and she comes home and she's just really upset, start by just asking questions about, you know, what happened, but also, you know, how she feels and what she thinks and what she's thinking she might want to do next, because that helps you with the roadmap of how to guide her. The other thing that I think is really important in these instances, again, I'm guilty of it, is that she might come home and just dump all of this on you, and then she only needed to dump. (laughs) So she's just throwing it all out there because the feelings were so intense from the incident or whatever happened that she just kind of needed to get rid of it, and then she was able to go in her room and problem solve and do whatever, but we're left holding this yuck of emotions And then we kind of adopt it, right? And we take it on, and then we feel like, well, we have to help her fix this. I can't, I I know I feel like this. She must feel awful, but she doesn't because she's given it to you. I think understanding sometimes that if you can just find a way, and I believe me, I'm going to say this, but I know how hard it is. But if we can find a way to kind of take it and hold it in a separate container for her and not take it on ourselves, then it allows us to kind of present the guidance in a more rational way with her and it helps us guide her
0: from where she is and not from where we are emotionally. This okay, I want to I want to get into this because this was like a really aha moment for me. It's when our kid comes home and is upset about something it feels like sharing. It feels like They're bringing us into their hurt and suffering. But what you just said was it might be dumping. And that's what we want them to be able to do so that they can move on. So it is not uncommon, I don't think, for moms to get stuck in the emotion of the conflict. But the kids actually moved on. Totally.
1: Totally. And I think what you just said is really important to understand for us as moms too is is every time they come home and share it's not an invitation for us to get involved. Sometimes yeah. it's just sharing to share. And I think I'm guilty of this again as well of like I cuz I feel like I have such a connection and I'm so close to my girls that every time they come home and share I'm like, "Oh, okay. What do we do?" <laughs> you know. And really sometimes they're just like, "I no, I don't I don't need your help. I just wanted to like share what's going on."
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, it's like my husband and I are learning that you don't like give advice unless it's asked, which is incredibly confusing, quite frankly, to me, because I thought we had a longer time to parent. Mm-hmm. I a friend of mine had said, she's like, you better get all of the good stuff in before 14. Yep. I didn't really believe it. Or I was like, maybe your kid, right? You know, <laughs> like mine's so sweet and she loves us and she listens to us. And, and here we are. And, and it's And we're seeing that she is a really competent person and she makes good decisions. And so she doesn't need us to micromanage and hover. But it feels weird. What you're saying is like all the girls are in transition, there's going to be stuff that hurts feelings. But what your kid needs to be able to do is work through it and come up with a solution to whatever scenario there.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Outside of the, you know, if it's actually bullying and consistent, yeah. that's a different story, obviously. But yes, these th- there's so many things that I think we, we feel like we need to get involved in that I would say 90% of the time, we don't really need to get involved. We just need to be there as a sounding board and to offer advice if asked, because I think that is really the hardest part, at least it's been the hardest part for me, because I can see exactly what's happening and all of these little friendship dynamics. And I can point, pinpoint the person that might be like s- stirring the drama and things like that. So I want to be able to share that and give advice. But the reality is, if I do that, many times it's not going to be heard or interpreted the
0: right way by her. She needs to go through that process to figure it out. I like... I'm sitting here realizing that as someone who studies this and actually works with people through this, it's got to be incredibly challenging for you to hold back oh because we like we can feel things, but you like really know and you're telling us that your kids still need to figure it out on their own. Oh There's not God. really a way for you to say it that they just are like I have scars on my tongue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hard because it's, I mean, it is, and I don't, and I don't always do it. Like so there's there's times when I'm like, I can't, I, can't do, I have to just tell you what I had, what I'm thinking. Right. Um, and I think I find that middle school, you still have a window of time where they're, where they really kind of do want that advice. I think my high schoolers, they rarely come to me anymore. And if they do, it's because they really don't know. Yeah, uh, middle school. I feel like we still have a little bit because they are still figuring it out. It's all really new, and everything is really raw, like yeah. really raw emotionally. So they, I think, appreciate. They'll kind of straddle that line between childhood, adolescence, childhood, adolescence. And so, we, when you get them on that side of the fence that they're in the childhood, it's easier to have those conversations. Whereas when they've dipped their toe and their back on this side of the fence in adolescence, they really don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> They want to do it on their own.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's helpful for me because sometimes I think like we have the moment of more child and then I take that as like an invitation that we're back there. Like we're going there. I can stay here. And it's like, no, no, no. This was just for this one little thing, mom. Get get out. Let me do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I mean, it takes a very big
1: emotional toll on us because it feels a little bit like like the like. Like you're crazy sometimes, like I don't know where I'm at, I don't know which side i should I should be working on. I don't know how I should approach you it's it's crazy making at times,
0: yeah, yeah, and we you did touch on the fact that like there are circumstances where a parent should get involved, and are there any questions we can ask ourselves, or are there any things that we should look for that says like, no, this has gone beyond the normal scope of kind of middle school friendship transition? And and we really do need to do something about this.
1: Absolutely, um, I think the way that I can tell you the way that I handle it, um, what I handle it, the way I handle it at home is, let's say my daughter comes to me with a problem, and so I will we'll talk a little bit about it. I'll hear what she has to say, and then I'll ask her, you know, would you like my advice? If she says yes or no, and then I'll say, at, at what point would you like me to get involved? More more than likely, she's going to say, I don't need you to get involved, and there there might come a time that she says yes then that's when you have that invitation to do it. On the other side, if she's still saying no, and you can see that there are maybe like symptoms of depression or significant anxiety that are starting to really pop up. She's lost interest in doing things, she's really kind of super retreated, not just retreated in her room, but you can tell there's a withdrawal piece, there's changes in, in eating or sleeping, like all of those things that might be signs of depression, those or or significant anxiety or fear of going to school, you know, those types of things. Are big red flags. And when those types of things have happened, we, we did have that happen even in our house where I've just stepped in and said, so at this point, your mental health is impacted and I have to be able to help you because as a mom, that's my job. So let's talk about what that's going to look like. And then I will, I mean, what I've done is actually like typed out the email to whoever it is that I'm doing you know whether it's a teacher a counselor an, another mom whatever and I let my daughter read what I'm sending and that might be controversial to some people but I feel very strongly that they it shouldn't be a secret like I want them to see that this is how I'm handling the situation this is what I'm saying it also models the way that maybe like I might approach a, a conflict or a problem that's, that's happening. And so it's kind of on a couple different levels teaching her as you go, but it's also keeping that connection going so that she feels like you're not taking over, you're just facilitating. And then if I got something wrong, she'll say, actually, I don't really, that makes me feel uncomfortable when you say it that way. So we talk a little bit about, okay, well, how, how could we say it in a way that makes you feel comfortable, but still conveys the message that I need to send. And there have been times that we've tweaked it. There have been times when if I have to have a meeting with, let's say, a counselor at the school, I will always invite my daughter with, with me. If I, if I can't for some reason, I will let her know. I can't in this situation, but I'll let you know what happened. So I think sometimes we get caught up in, in, in fixing it and forget that it's actually her issue. So she needs to be involved in the process of resolving it as well.
0: Yeah. It is so easy to get focused on the moment and forget that one day we won't be right next to them to solve the conflict. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about a different scenario, which is our middle schooler is not making friends. Mm. What do we as parents do for the kid that we feel like, and, and I think there's two buckets of of this scenario and one of them is our kid really wants to connect with some friends and is lonely and just doesn't seem to be getting there and then there's another kid who us parents are like they need to have more social interaction and friendships but they seem okay with it so can you talk to us about those scenarios yeah
1: so first of all, I think this is kind of uh, a pretty n- consistently um, apparent scenario that I see since the pandemic. I think there's been a lot of massive increase in loneliness for our teens um, for a number of different reasons, which is like, a, I think a whole nother
0: podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that when you're looking at those two different things, it's really you are approaching it in two different ways because the 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 girl who is like, "Hey, I'm good on my own. I don't really need a lot of a lot of other friends, and I'm I'm not interested in making a lot of um, other friends." I think as long as that's an authentic response and not a, a defensive response of like, "I'm scared to get involved," or uh, "When I get involved, I get rejected, and so I'm just not going to do it anymore." That's different than authentically being like. I'm good. Like I'm okay with just having one or two friends or being by myself most of the time. The other thing about that particular scenario to watch for is to make sure that that's not happening because they're just online and they only have online friends. So the online friends, I'm not going to say are awful because there are some people that, that have, you know, genuine online friendships I just have seen that if that's the only piece of friendship circles that they have, it really limits their capacity for growth. So uh, I I really think that if that's, if that, if they're saying, no, I have friends, I have all my online friends. That's something to just be um, aware of and try to find ways that they can get involved in the community with whatever passion they have. And that actually rolls over to the other side as well. Right. To me, if we can find uh, community volunteering events, we can find other uh, groups that maybe teens are in, uh, or tweens or teens are involved in. It can be things like Girls on the Run even or w- whatever it is. That allows that circle, those circle of acquaintances, to for them to just be exposed to people, because really this is just about exposure. We again had this a very similar issue with one of my daughters, um, that she just couldn't. She had this opportunity at school with a lot of people, but all the people were just not her people, and it just was very difficult for her. And she transferred to another school and same thing. Like she just couldn't connect for whatever reason. So she was very into equestrian. And so we just kind of beefed up that area and tried to get her so that she was her circle of people that she was exposed to in her passionate area was expanded. And so then once that happened, she started kind of finding people she could pick to attach to and create more of these closer friendships. So I think finding ways, finding out okay, what is it that they're passionate about? And then finding ways to capitalize on that to open up the circle of people they're exposed to. And then it organically will start to happen for them. It's not always going to be school. You know, that's, that's the thing that I think is a little bit of a misnomer is that people think like, oh, well, they're, they're around people all the time at school. Those will be their friends. Sometimes that's not their base. Their base might be completely offsite uh, in clubs or activities or
0: something else. That really puts things in perspective, I think, for for parents. And I mean, most of us, if we have more than one kid, they have a different baseline, right? Of like how much time they want to spend with other people, how much they like to talk about emotions and how many people they want in their core group, right? But for the kids that do have a hard time, I feel like it's in our nature to want to make sure that our kid is not lonely. No one likes to be lonely. We know what that feeling feels like. But not everybody finds their people at school. They don't get to pick who's in their school. They don't get to have the same interests. So, and, and knowing, like I say this regularly, knowing that this is one area that I feel like parents—if your kids are lonely—we feel like it's a parenting fail. It is definitely an area that that I see where parents really like. Feel that it is in them that that they have to fix this, and you're saying that you even experienced some of it, and it and it's not something wrong with parenting or your child. It's just finding the right fit.
1: Yes, and that is, I think, so important. I think that the, I'm so happy you highlighted that because um, I do often, you know, have people kind of be surprised that we have the same problems in our house. But I mean, I have, I have mom guilt, we have loneliness, we have anxiety, we have ADHD, like we have all kinds of problems here at home. And it's really, and I don't have all the answers to be quite honest because as you go through and you, you, you experiment and that is part of the parenting journey as well is like you, you kind of have to experiment a little bit with each child because each child is different So as long as you're doing that from a place of love and um, education and you know all these other things that we want our kids to come to us as, it's normal. But I do think that I found that I did the same thing. I was starting to fall into that trap of like, oh my gosh, I need to fix this. It's not okay that she's so lonely. Maybe I haven't exposed her to enough. Maybe I haven't gotten her in the right classes. Maybe I haven't you know, really spent enough time with her. And, and maybe I haven't nurtured my mom friendships as uh, enough to get the other friends to come over. And, and really that had nothing to do with it. It really didn't. Because for her, she just needs to find a certain type of person that gels with her. And I can't create that person for her. She needs to find them. So the more, the best thing I can do is just get her in situations where she can test that out to find those
0: people. As you're talking about this, the irony I think might be is that it sounds like your daughter is a person who's confident in who she is. Mm -hmm. So that- actually makes it more challenging, right? Oh my gosh.
1: Yes. She probably is my most confident and self-assured. And she, I mean, she's kind of known who she is all her life, which is weird. And so she would go into scenarios in middle school and someone would be doing something and she'd be the person to be like, that's not cool. That's not okay. Don't do that. Well, that actually kind of worked against her in some instances because the confidence and the um, kind of uh, her own boundary setting scared some other kids because they didn't have it and they didn't know how to deal with it. So you know, I, I always tell people, yes, we want we want our girls to learn boundaries. We want our girls to have confidence. We also need to understand that with that, there's another set of kind of rules and guidance that we have to teach them of how to use that in a way that doesn't. I guess for lack of a better word, alienate other kids because the other kids are feeling scared of it because they don't have it yet. Yeah, I also think um, that part part of the reason why I'm on this mission to educate girls and moms is because what I've found with my girls is that they are walking into situations with kind of really high EQs because we've done so much work on emotional intelligence and your confidence and self-esteem. And so they're walking into these scenarios expecting other girls to have the same skill set. And then when they don't, it becomes dramatic because, and, they're, and my girls are like, well, I don't know what the problem is, but the other girls don't know what to do because they've never been taught these skills. So then what happens is the girls with the higher EQ get isolated and they get kind of ostracized because no one really knows how to deal with them. And this was actually an unexpected challenge for me in the beginning because i always thought like, oh, I'm going to give them all these great skills. They're going to go into life and it's going to be fabulous for them. They're going to ease their way like smoothly through <laughs> adolescence with this. And it was actually the opposite. We had to do a lot of other work on... Kind of helping them understand how to, in in a, I guess I guess in a way teach other girls without being bossy, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's been a big challenge. So I I think I'm not saying don't teach your girls these skills. I actually want the opposite. But I think if you find yourself in that situation, just understand that then you have kind of a secondary skill set that you have to teach them of being patient with others, having tolerance for others, and finding the people that do have that skill set, which they are out there. It's just
0: not as easy to find sometimes. Wow. I think that is like a really important takeaway. If you're listening to a parenting (laughs) podcast called Raising Middle School Girls, you're probably doing some of the work, right? Like Mm -hmm. You're trying to raise daughters that are strong and confident and have a high EQ and I don't ever thought think I thought it could be an actual challenge like that education could be a challenge but you're right not everybody has those skills We understand that I think intuitively more with younger kids mm-hmm. you know we have more of these talks when they're in like kindergarten and we're like you know telling our son buddy it's okay that kid's just still learning some of his lessons you know like but but it's still happening in middle school some kids are, more proficient in certain skills than they are in others, and that applies to math and executive functioning and emotional intelligence. Absolutely. And I think
1: the difference is that in elementary school, well, first of all, the adults around them have more patience and have a little bit more understanding of how to intervene to help everyone resolve those conflicts. As we move into middle school, I think especially educators are much more hands-off or punitive, and there's not an understanding that this skill development is still happening. So instead, instead, it becomes, um, you know, there's I I was just saying yesterday, my one of my middle schoolers, you know, came home and said something happened. And she said, I said, why didn't you talk to somebody? And she said, I don't want to be a snitch. And I was like, oh, my God, red fly word. I hate that word. I hate that word so much. But that's the there's a level of a culture of, of secrecy that's happening in middle school that is kind of reinforced by the adults, even if it's unintentional. You know, yeah. even if it's unintentional, it's happening. And that is where the kids with the high EQs are coming in and trying to kind of address it and not getting the support that they would have gotten from elementary at the site that they're at now. And so it, it becomes much more challenging
0: to kind of navigate that that is at minimum a whole podcast episode in <laughs> itself maybe a whole documentary because you know the the secrecy in middle school and and feeling like there is like you're integrated with the adults when you're really little but it you know some kids learn things more behaviorally they just pick them up on their own and then some kids have to be taught some of these skills and and we're all realizing hey not everybody picks up the emotional intelligence just innately, but we still act like they do in middle school and kind of say hands-off.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Kim, I know there's going to be people who want to learn more about your work and how you can help with their middle school daughter. Can you tell us where we can find you? Yes, absolutely.
1: So uh, you can go to my website at nurturinggirls.com. Um, and I'm 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 really active on social media. So TikTok and Instagram and Facebook is all the at- nurturing, and then underscore girls. So it's a little bit different. So uh, nurturing underscore girls at all the social media.
0: Thank you so much, Kim. It was great talking with you.
1: Great talking with you too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more conversations with experts designed to help you support your middle school girl, please hit subscribe. You can also sign up for the newsletter at the link in the show notes to receive emails about tips and resources, upcoming events, and new podcast episodes, all designed to support you and your child.